You know, people talk about once saved, always saved. And they talk about the scripture in the Bible where Christ tells, well, when he's praying, he says to God, all those that you gave me, I have not lost, not even one. And we confuse that with once saved, always saved. I had a conversation with a woman one time and she took scriptures and she tried to apply those scriptures to once saved, always saved. Then she, she, she went back to the Old Testament where it was said of God that he knew all that would be saved in the end. He knew all that would be salvaged. He knew that these would come to expected end. And so she took that and she said, well, that means that once I'm saved, I'm always saved. And I told her, I said, no, you error. Because the Bible says that those God saved will be saved throughout the history of their life. They'll be saved um, in the manner that we are saved, you know, unto God and righteous and holy and true. We'll be all those things the scriptures say that we would be. And that's for those who don't turn back. The Bible talks about a great falling away. And I tell people all the time when I preach and I teach, you can't fall away from something that you was never a part of. And then the Bible talks about they went out from among us because they was never with us. So what do the Bible mean by that too? Okay, now let me go back to where it talks about the latter part, what I've just said about um, being saved. That they went out, and then I talk about when they went out from among us, they was never a part of us. Now think about it like this. There's a great falling away. Okay. And I made the statement, you can't fall away from something you was never a part of. Well, what does that mean exactly? That means that I had to be a part of the singing group in order to leave the group. I had to be a part of the family in order to walk away from the family. So I had to first be a part of something in order to leave it. I can't fall away. The word fall away in this, in this sense means to, you know, separate yourself from, to no longer be a part of. Okay. And so that being the case, then that means that I had to live a life that was connected to this thing. And because I lived a life that was connected to this thing, then I decided that I no longer wanted to be a part of it. Okay. Then I talked about the went out from among us because they was never with us. So that means that there was those who professed and claimed to be a part of something, and yet they was never a part of it. So because they was never a part of it, it wasn't hard for them to walk away from it. So that doesn't that's not included in the great falling away because them going out from among us because they was never with us means simply that they they sojourned with us, they came to the parties, they they, they, they spoke at the rallies. They, they, they did all the works and things like that, but their hearts was never receptive or connected to what they were doing. They never accepted it. They never took it as truth, or if they took it as truth, they never took it as a something they won't be part of. I, there's a lot of things in life that I see that is true. It's true that today is Thursday, July 11, 2019. Now, I know that to be true. I can accept that or not accept that. I can disconnect from that or I connect to that. I don't have to accept that today is July the 11th, 2019, even though the facts prove that it is. So what I'm saying is the facts doesn't change. I just refuse the facts. So I go out from among somebody, maybe because I never believed, never was a part of, maybe I had a, 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 a arterial motive for being a part of the group. I don't know. Then it talks about those who may actually have believed, but they don't accept because the way is not their way. It's not the thing that they would do. It's not how they would do it. So they was never a part of us. Then it talks about a great falling away. Well, what do you mean about a falling away? I go back to that again. <clears throat> okay. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Hardship struggles, uh, situations come up. And for some reason, a little bit at a time, the enemy, the devil, that's who comes against us, the accuser of the brethren. He who goes through true and flow, seeing whom he can devour, go true and flow as a roaring lion. You know, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He was a liar and a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. That guy who seeks at every opportunity uh, to destroy you. Like I said, accuser of the brother. But then the Bible said we have an advocate in heaven 
that goes before God daily on our account, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. And then it says that the enemy, the devil, comes to the Lord as accuser of the brother. Look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. So that enemy that comes to the Lord as accuser of the brother, he's coming in the effort and the, the mindset and the decision to destroy all the things that God loves because he hates everything that God loves. And God loves his people and God loves all people. The Bible says that God wants that none should be lost. You know, so that means that he, and then also says he's no respecter of person and that he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son, the man that he should repent. So those things that he sees come to pass, he would see them come to pass. And so that means that God has already shown us that he wants to make sure that we hit the mark at every account and every opportunity. Here's where it becomes problematic. We ourselves have the ability to refuse or accept God. So when it says once saved, always saved, you got to understand something. A lot of people try to explain this. A lot of people try to go into intricate detail. A lot of people try to take this verse and that verse and the next verse and try to explain it. But the Bible says eat the whole world. Don't add to it. Don't take away from the word of God. So that means that we have to devour the whole complete word of God. We have to ingest it. It says, you know, that we should accept the sincere milk of the gospel. So that means that we have to nourish on the word of God. And the Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, not one tittle, one dot, uh, mm, anything of God's word would ever pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not God's word. And the Bible says, God is his word, and he lives through his word, and that the word is in us when we accept God by his spirit. So that means that when we accept God, his word is in us. Now, even though that is true, and even though the Bible says that, that Christ, all those who God has commissioned him he have not lost one and the bible also says that god knows who would succeed successfully end up in heaven that god knows from the beginning we got to understand something christ is referring to those who did not turn back christ is referring to those that god has shown him and christ being god in the flesh knew that these people would stand the test of time because he said he said like this though now, now now watch this watch this he said he who endures to the end the same should be saved so christ knows who's going to endure to the end because God knows all things. The Bible says he's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He's omnipresent. He, he knows the future before it's happened. He knew the past before it started. He knows the present because he knows what we're going to do right at this second. So the Bible makes it clear that God knows all these things. See, when people say once saved, always saved, they go to scripture. They go to text to try to defend their position. What they miss and don't understand is that because God knows all things, because Christ knows all things, because the Spirit of God utters all things and understands all things, that's why God knows it from the beginning. That's why Christ, has, Christ did not lose any that God has commissioned to him or given to him. Christ lost not one because Christ knew that he couldn't and wouldn't. It was no way possible for him to lose those things or those people because those people was connected to God wholeheartedly and Christ knew it. See, Christ didn't say, everybody you gave me, everybody's going to accept me. No, he said, those that you gave to me, mean that those things that you commissioned to me, I have not lost one because I'm incapable of losing any, and I know exactly who's going to accept me. Christ knew that Judas Iscariot would betray him. Now, was Judas Iscariot not a part of his group? Was he not a part of Christ? Was he not, if you want to use the term that it doesn't fit in this case, that he was he not commissioned to Christ? Judas Iscariot was lost. The, the Bible says he was the son of perdition, that he came to do those things that would send Christ to the cross. But the Bible is so beautiful when it says that those things had to be done. So the, the fulfillment of prophecy would come to pass. Christ had to be betrayed. That was the only way he could, how can I put it? That was the only way Christ could save us from our sin. That's the only way he could bring us salvation. God looked at it from every angle, and there was the only way that it could be done. The Bible said by one man was all lost, was salvation lost, was the world lost, the sin come into the world, was it a place of irrepute and, 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 and negativity and anger and evil and, and, and ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then it says by one man was all lost, the person of Adam. Then it says by one man would all come back unto God, the person of Christ. So that means that Christ was coming to bring salvation and liberty and purpose back to man unto God. See, we were separated from God, both uh, uh, spiritually and then eventually physically within our death. See, prior to this, if I understand Scripture right, man didn't die. Man lived eternal. 
Man didn't have an expiration date. He had a beginning, but he had no expiration. So when God created man, he created man with no expiration date. Sin brought an expiration date. You say, well, why is this all important about once saved, always saved? Why are you going around and saying all these things? Because a lot of people have left this out. I see so many preachers speaking on once saved, always saved, and we have to do this, and we have to do that, and we we this is what the Bible requires, and this is what the Bible says. Here's what I see and understand and know to be true of Scripture. God knows all things. Because God knows all things and God understands all things, God knows the beginning before the end. He knows the ending before it even began because God knows all things. He omnipotent. He omnipresent. Means that he's everywhere all the time. He's all powerful. God is all powerful. There's nothing that God can't do. There's nothing too hard or impossible for God. So for him to know that who would be saved and who would accept him, who would stay the course, because like I said, Christ said, he who endures to the end, the saints should be saved. So you got to understand something. Why would the Bible say all these things? And if most preachers who have talked to me would say the same thing. The Bible is for the saint. It helps the sinner, but the word of God is for the saint. It's to give them instruction, understanding, and let them know exactly what they're required to do in order to stay faithful, dedicated, and committed to God. So if the Bible is for the saint, then why would all these things that sound like they're extricating or separating or dividing or breaking in two? Be put in the Bible. It's for the saint. That's saved for. Why would God have to say all these things to the saint? Because he knows those very saints could walk away. Because when I used to talk about the Bible and, and, and I got confused, I said, well, what the, is the Bible not for the sinner so he'll know the truth of the Bible? Plus, especially when the Bible says so many things that sound like a, a correction or, 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 or scolding. You know, the Bible said those who God loves, he chasing. So it sounds like correction more than anything. When he talked to the children of Israel and those in the Old Testament, and then when Christ came and, and he talked to those in the New Testament, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teacher of the law, and all of them, the, the strife, and he gave them correction. Or when he was in the temple, he was talking to the elders in the temple, and, and when his parents came to get him, he said, did you not know I was supposed to be about my father's business? And Christ didn't just come to go to the cross. Christ came to let people know the truth of the Bible and the gospel. When Christ went to the cross and was raised again, it says over Matthew chapter 28, he, he commissioned his disciples to go out and teach all nations, as he had taught them. And then at the end of that statement, he said, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So those are the ones that Christ kept. So once saved, always saved. Can you lose your salvation? Of course you can. We're human. We're on this side of things. And I tell people all the time, as long as we're on this side of things, we can always lose our salvation. Now here where it gets good. You know why Christ said those that you gave to me, I have not lost one? I said this already. I'm going to put it more clear now. Because it was going to be those who was maybe going to struggle. And they're going to have strives, and they're going to have to do this, and they're going to have to do that. And they're going to have to recommission themselves to God, and they're going to have to repent over and over again. They're going to have to continue to come to God because some human situation, something of this broken, lost, uh, 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 worldly state that we have, the flesh, if you want to call it that, was going to get in our way. The enemy was going to come with an attack, and he was going to come against us in some type of way, in some type of thing, and he was going to tear us away from God briefly, if not for a long period of time, and sometimes for long periods, you know, sometimes for years. People give up. They lose a loved one. Or they're trying to start a church or a business, or their health is not working the way they want to. The children are wayward, or whatever the case is. Their finances are not what they want them to be, or they're striving to do something in life, and God hasn't given the answer to go ahead and do it, and they, they shake their fists at God as though God done something wrong when the Bible makes it clear. In this, while, in this life, there's going to be many trials and tribulations. The Bible said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So if many are the afflictions of the righteous, and the Lord delivers them out of them all, that means that we as Christians, as saved folk, we're going to come up against some things. And some people don't survive that. Some people don't come out of that better. They come out of that worse. Some turn back. Some go back into the world. That's reason the Bible says that they, they left from among us because they were never with us. Those are the ones that was never a part of it. And then you have those who were the great falling away. 
Then you have, you know, when it says it's going to be a great falling away, and the latter days is going to be a great falling away. Then it says that, you know, those, they, they went from among, they went out from us because they were never with us. Then it talks about how God already knows the very number of who's going to remain. And people use that to say, well, once saved, always saved. No, 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 no. As long as we live in these vessels, we can love God with all our heart today and all our, our soul and all our might and all our strength and still have the right thing come along and walk away. You say, well, you was never saved. Well, let's call it this. I was on my way to salvation and something came along and I turned back. I couldn't deal with the struggle. So say not once saved, always saved. Say that I was part way there. Still, salvation was at hand. Like, 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 like Christ said and Paul said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yet, we're standing right there at the door of the kingdom and we won't go in. Christ says over in the book of Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If you allow me in, I'll come in and sup with you. So we got to understand that there's ways to lose salvation and there's ways to maintain your salvation. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that once we become Christians, life becomes easy. Matter of fact, the Bible says the total opposite. The enemy gets harder and more determined to pluck us out of God's hand. He can't. Now that we formally in there, we can walk away from God. The Bible talks about over in Romans chapter 8. It talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I preached on that and I taught on that. And I said, you know, right? That's true. You know what? That is very true. Here's the problem, though. Just like nothing in the world can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Just like Adam fell in the garden, we ourselves can do it to ourselves. I heard somebody say years ago, we are our own worst enemies. We are. We do things and allow things to happen to us that we wouldn't allow or let other people do. And we do it willingly, with desire, intent. Like when I was a younger man, I, I drank and I smoked. And all those things was pretty much bad for your health. Drinking, smoking, overeating, eating certain foods, just, just a lot of various things. And I give you a computer, well, you're always talking about drinking and smoking. Certain foods or certain amounts of food. My mother used to always say, you know, don't be a glut. You know, don't just go all in completely into that thing and just overdo it, overindulge. Don't be a glutton. And the Bible speaks about being gluttonous and how we should not be gluttonous. And, you know, you got some who are glutton for punishment. You have some who are glutton for food and some who are glutton for intimacy and some who are glutton for excitement. You know, they just go in and they overdo and they overexert everything that they do. And the Bible speaks against those things. You said, brother, you saying a whole lot there. What about once saved, always saved? I'm saying it in the midst of saying all this. I'm showing how different texts of scripture come together to affirm or disaffirm something. And how a lot of times people take two or three scriptures, try to explain something to you or try to give you knowledge and understanding and, 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 and give you some kind of insight to what's being said when the whole time they're not giving you incompletion. Now, I'm going to go back to just two scriptures, two scriptures or two things I said prior, which are scriptural. One is, Christ said, all that you've given to me, I have not lost, not won. You got to understand something. God was the giver. God knew those things would continue on. God knew those things wouldn't fall to or fail. Even Peter, Peter fell several times, yet Peter got off his face, got back on his feet, and he did the work of the kingdom. To the point that they they killed him, that he became martyred for the sake of the cross. And this is the same Peter that denied Christ, the same Peter that said Christ told Christ not to go up and be crucified, and he had to say to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan!" And just prior to Peter making that mistake, Christ said, "Who do men say that I am?" Some said that one of the prophets. Some said Elijah coming back. Some said, you know, one of the uh, the prophets of today. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said that the one and only begotten son of God. And then Christ said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father which in heaven revealed this to you. And not, but a short while after that, Peter turns around when Christ said that he was telling him that he had to go up to Jerusalem and be crucified. You know, he's going to be portrayed to evil men. And Peter said, no, that's not so. 
where Peter's natural self, his flesh kicked in, that, 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 that natural man, that, that man that didn't want to see his rabbi, his master, his leader go up and be crucified and put to death because they knew what crucifixion meant and, and the suffering and the pain that came in the crucifixion. And that means that the ultimate outcome of that was death. And, and Peter didn't want to see that happen. And at the same time, the enemy was standing there too saying, hmm, now this Christ fellow been saying a whole lot of things that sounds like he's going to go and do that thing that's been told of beforehand by the prophets prior to Christ's coming. And if he does this and he's really the one and only begotten son of God, then he's going to go up and do the work that no man could do. And then men can be saved by him and the enemy loses out on those souls. So even though Peter was one of Christ's disciples, the enemy rose up in it. Because Peter wasn't just trying to salvage Christ's life by keeping him from the cross. The enemy was trying to use Peter to keep Christ from fulfilling prophecy because if he had fulfilled prophecy, then Christ was going to be in a position to where now man can come to God and be saved from their sin and they're covered, not just in God's righteousness, but the blood of Christ. They're cleansed, made spotless, white as snow. And this is something the enemy didn't want to see happen. And because he didn't want to see this thing happen, then he used Peter, the, the apostle. He used Peter, the follower of Christ. He used Peter, the one who was a rebel, and used him in his rebellious state to come against those things that Christ was saying. That's why Christ said to Peter after that, he said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So Christ gave him an out and a correction at the same time. He said, you're thinking with the heart of men, you want to establish me. And here we talk about the things of God. God called me. He said, for this reason, I came into the world. He came into this world to save people. He came into this world to show them the way back to God. And then he came in this world to be a sacrificial lamb for our souls and for our sake. And then right around that same time, Peter was talking about how he would never deny Christ and this, that, and other thing. And Christ said to him, he said, Peter, Peter, I pray for you. And he said, you should pray also because the enemy desires to sit for you like wheat. And then he goes on and Peter said, I would never betray you. I stand with you through it all through thick and thin. I would never leave you or forsake you. And Christ said, before the cock crows twice, you're going to betray me three times. You're going to deny me. Well, I said betray. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, not me. I wouldn't do that. I could never do that to you. And the Bible shows that when Peter followed him, when they came out to get him in the garden, and Peter followed him to the judgment hall, that Peter was accounted three different occasions. It was asked, was he a part of this Christ band, a part of this movement, if you would, in today's vernacular, in today's language. And Peter denied Christ three times. And when he denied him the third time, the cold crop, the cock crowed. So I just want to say, once saved, always saved. That's a good question. Are we always saved once we saved? That's a very good question. Thank you. Father God, we ask that you bless this service, Lord God, that we be understanding of your word, Father God, that we be receptive, Father God. We just ask, Father God, in Christ Jesus' name, that you give us the mindset, Lord God, the, the thought patterns, Lord God, that are lined up with your word, Father God, and not our own beliefs, and that we don't try to modify or curve your word to our desires and our ways and our understanding, Father God, and just let you, Father God, in Christ Jesus' name, shine through. We ask and pray, Christ, the Father God, in Christ Jesus' name, over these things, over this service. We ask and pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going over to, where are we going? Ephesians what? 30 what? No, 29 through 33. Yeah, see that? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I threw you off a little bit, brother. Wasn't that much, though, huh? I know. You got it, Sister Cheryl? All right. Yeah, we're going over to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 
29 through 31, we're still talking about uh, marriage. And we, we're in our relationship series, and we're talking about marriage right now. And we just want to go on record about marriage and understanding marriage and the connection that men and women have and things like that. You know, we talked already about marriage in the sense that um, we are to be, you know, submissive one to another. Husbands ought to love their wives and like Christ loved the church and wives submit to their husbands unto the Lord and that we should submit to each other in fear of the Lord. And so now we're going to go over to verses 29, which fits the, the, the verses that we already read, but I'm, I'm carrying it over because I wanted to connect to what we're saying now because all this goes together as a teaching tool for marriage and how God sees marriage and how God sees relationships between men and women and not how we see them. Because so often, like I said, with submission, uh, women say, oh, I'm not submitting to that guy. Uh-uh, I'm not doing it. You know, I do a lot of things, but I don't want to be a slave. And Sister Cheryl kind of elaborated on that uh, when we talked the last time, how that's not a slave mentality. That The way the Bible refers to submission has nothing to do with being a fool, a slave, or being taken advantage of, or something like that. It has to do with giving yourself over to be willing to see things from another person's perspective, understand them, not always be against or always opposed to things, but submit yourself to hearing the person out and maybe even submit yourself to doing some of the things that are being suggested. And why did the Bible say this to women and not men? Because in a lot of cases, women are not submissive to what is being said. And, 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 the, and the writer of this text knew that. And God knew that, and that's why he gave it to them to say that. And men are not always affectionate and loving to their wives because we think analytically and we think uh, uh, logically and, you know, we think like that. And so because we think like that, everything is so clinical with us, bam, bam, bam. And with women, it's more emotional, and we show less emotion than women do. Now, me, on the other hand, I'm a very emotional man. I, I am. Yet and still, for most men, that's not the case. So God knew this. God knew that when he created creation, that especially after the fall, this would be the way that we would be. So it says in verse uh, 29, it says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourish it and cherishes it even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and should be joined unto his wife, and they too should become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So we're still talking about the same thing. We're still talking about uh, the connection and relationships and things like that. You know, me and Sister Cheryl, we've been together for a long time. We've been together for a while, and I'm pretty sure we done wrecked some nerves. We done uh, hit some nerves that we didn't no longer have. You know, people don't always agree. They have disagreements. They have opposite and opposing opinions about things. And they just simply don't see things all in the same content in the same way. Yet, the Bible teaches us that we should be at peace with all men as it is possible. So in a marriage situation, we should submit to each other so we can be at peace, so we can have that tranquility, that harmony that comes along with a relationship. Wouldn't you agree? And because we should do that and because we should walk in, in harmony and in and, and, and peace with each other. Say, the Bible said, how can two walk together at least they agree? So we have to have some agreement in order to walk together. I consider Sister Cheryl be my best bud. And I can have 100 friends, even from childhood. I can have friends that love me and come to my need at any time. And still, Sister Cheryl to me is my best bud. And she says that about me. And I hope that she means it <laughs> when she says it. I hope she's not just saying that to make me feel better. Amen. Um, and I'm going to give you all the opportunity to speak here in a minute. What I'm saying is, in relationships, we have to have that mindset. We have to have that understanding, that, that, that mental capacity to relate to what God is saying in Scripture to us because that's the only way for us to really be a success is to allow Scripture to speak to and through us. And by doing so, we're putting ourselves in a position to actually do the will of God as he is teaching and showing us how to do if we understand Scripture correctly. Some people won't take Scripture, amen, and apply it to their desire, make Scripture fit them. Have you ever heard people say that? Well, yeah, blah, 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 this and third. And so the Bible is saying because it fits their narrative. It fits their mindset. 
or they'll pick out scriptures that only relate to their mindset and narrative. But the Bible said we should eat the whole world. We shouldn't add to it and we shouldn't take anything away. So that means we're supposed to consume the whole scripture, not just bits and pieces. We don't supposed to add to scripture. We don't supposed to take away from scripture. We're supposed to do exactly what scripture said. And because of that, we have better, more cohesive relationships and we can love each other and we can be committed to each other and we can do those things that are right for each other and towards each other by the will of God if we just agree to understand scripture and take it at face value. If we don't agree to do that, then we put ourselves in a position to where scripture speaks to us, it just don't speak our language. Anybody like to add anything at this point? Just speak up a little bit if you can. No one? Oh, go ahead. Right. Right. Okay, when you said fair and honest, what do you mean by fair and honest? soft with their feelings and emotions, but they don't want to be submissive and, and willing to listen and hear. They just want to be all out there chaotic. And, and it, you're saying it doesn't work. They both have to be in agreement to be this way. Basically is what you're saying. Yeah, it has to be equal and balanced. Yeah, like Sister Sheriff said, Now, you know Sister Sheriff stole that from me, right? You know, she stole that, 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 uh, from me. Well, I said that name. Like, mm. Yeah, Yeah, y'all kind of speak up a little bit. So, uh, basically, Sister, did you want to add anything? So verse 29, no okay. man ever okay. yet, ever. Oh. so no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. Because, uh, because you're, simply if you're one, because, you know, when, when, you, when you get married, you're considered as one. So basically, it's like you, when you love and hurt, you're loving yourself. Because you this one person, basically, since you made one. That's it. So it shouldn't be shouldn't be hard if you love yourself to love your spouse because it's just like loving yourself. Yeah, but sometimes people they love himself too much and not want to show love to somebody. You know, they, 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 like, like they said, they're stuck on themselves. <laughs> but when it comes down to showing love or comfort or, or 
honesty or love and dedication and all that to someone else. They're too busy wanting all that for themselves and they ain't willing to share it and give. You know, give that, like Pastor said, the youth says, that 100%. They're going to get that 100 to themselves and do whatever steps and legs to get over, which we have. <laughs> That's how people are. So basically, I guess what we're saying here is that we have to be faithful and dedicated and committed to those things that we are striving to do in marriages and relationships and not allow those things to become uh, unfruitful in our lives. We have to bear good fruit. So in marriages, we have to still bear good fruit. We have to be committed. We have to be dedicated. We have to be honest. We have to be kind. We have to be loving. We have to do all those things the scripture is telling us to do. And I like what he said way back in verse uh, 21. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. You remember when we started off, uh, when we started this uh, lesson with that statement. And he was talking to both men and women at this point. And then it says over in verse uh, 22, why submit yourselves unto your own husband? And then said, submit yourself unto every man in every situation wherever you go. And so she pointed out, she said, unto your own husband. Because we're talking marriage relationships. We're not talking about friendship. We're not talking about co-workers. We're not talking about people we know. We're talking about our home, our marriage, our relationship. And then it goes on in verse 25. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So husbands are supposed to love their wives to the point of giving their lives up for that, giving their lives over for that. So we have to understand the scriptures tell us to do a whole lot here that we don't want to do necessarily as people. Yet the Bible is calling us to be dedicated and committed in that way, to continue to do the work that God has commissioned us to do as husbands and wives, in all situations and all times. Now, are we willing to do those things? That is the question we should be asking. Like Brother Wendell said in the beginning, you got uh, men want their wives to do what they're supposed to do, and men don't want to do what they're supposed to do, or vice versa. Men are giving it all they got, and their wives are just chaotic. You know, they got that old neck popping attitude thing going. You know how you see that a lot of times? You look like they're going to break their necks. You know, and, and God is not calling us to be that way. He's calling us to be loving for men, submissive for wives, but not to be slave for either one. You know, uh, and, you know, you can go back to the past. I mean, it was both ways. But now, now, today, you got more people that don't want to do these things and ain't doing and ain't planning on doing it. Back then, when you had that loving marriage, even in the church, I mean, you had so much love going on so much togetherness that, you know, it was, it was just spearing out everywhere. But now, I mean, you can barely get people to come to church, more or less. You can barely get people to be straight with each other, honest with each other, you know, loving and kind, because they're too busy thinking of oneself or thinking about what outside of the church or outside is about. Because a lot of people don't understand that back then, it was, it was better. And it was stronger. I mean, you had more hope back then. You had more things that people were willing to do to survive and make things work. But now, you, you find so many people that just falling by the wayside because they don't care. I mean, why should they? Because they figure, hey, I'm not where I should be. I'm not who I should be. So why continue to do things when it ain't helping me? And, you know, you find a lot of people that just don't want to honestly put themselves in a position to follow God, follow Christ, follow, you know, what he wants us to do and how he wants to do it. Amen. And that's part of the problem with the church today. And like you said, it's not just in society. It's the church itself. And so, Joe, would you like to make a comment on that? All right. So it's, it's not just society. It's the church. It's the, the person of the church. It's, it's the leaders, you know, because... I heard somebody say uh, one time that uh, the, the, the followers is only as good as his leader. You know, you know, a soldier is only as good as his general. And so we, we got to understand something. 
if you got a weak leader, then you got a weak soldier. And if you got a weak soldier, then you got a weak regiment. And if you got a weak regiment, then you're going to go out to battle ill-prepared and not ready to fight. You got to have a strong head in order for the body to move as it should. You got, you know, you got to have a strong constitution. You got to be able to stand. So in, in my teaching and in, in my educating of the members of the church, I have to be in a position to where I actually bring life to, to what is going on and not just talking. You know, like we say so often, you know, a lot of pastors want to preach what people want to hear instead of the truth. And, and because they don't want to preach the truth and they don't want to tell people exactly what scripture says. Then people say, well, that's just your opinion. That's your interpretation of it. That's, that's how you see it. No, I, that's how God sees it. And that's how God told me to say it. Now, if God is telling you something different, at least what we are talking about have to line up at some point. It can't just be God talking to me, God talking to you, and he's saying two different things and none of it connects. At some point, what we are saying have to connect at some kind of point. You see what I'm saying? Now, the master leak of a chain doesn't go on the uh, middle. It goes on the front end and the back. Yet, it brings everything together. So what I'm saying is that master link has to connect the chain together. Now, if you got a chain that's made for a tent fee and the, and, the, and the chain is made different than it is for a uh, BMX bike, then that chain is not going to connect together. I don't care what kind of linkage you put in it. It's going to be unbalanced. It's not going to be right. It's going to probably pop, pop off the uh, sprocket because it's not made for that bike that way. It has to be a, a, a chain that fits the bike that it's going on. And it has to be a chain that connects. So when we do scripture and we and we go into word, at some point, what I say and what you say have to have some kind of connection. It can't just be, well, I interpret it this way and you interpret it that way and it has no connection. We And that's the same way with the church. We have to have a connection. When it comes to things of the ministry and the church and what the pastor is teaching, whether it be in like right now with our relationship series, or it would be something down the road that we're talking about and, and we're trying to get some understanding of it. God has to give me revelation and understanding of it so I can teach you rightfully and, 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 and you know, in, in a way that is easy to digest. Right. In that sense, you know, we have to be all, not just some. We all have to be in one accord. You know, because, like you said, on that bike, you know, you got that main link on the front and the back. But see, you, you can't just have that front back, that back and front. You need that whole chain. You know, the middle, the bottom, the top. You gotta have everybody in one accord thinking, not the same, but just thinking, you know, basically the same way and getting everything done and making sure everything goes accordingly because like it don't take but one person to fall off to mess up the whole thing. That's true. You know, so you definitely gotta have it like if we're gonna do it, we need to stay on that accord and do everything and not fall off and make sure that we're in it together and not in it together but done separately. I agree. So when you say in it together, when we are trying to work together as a body of Christ and Christians and, and, and we've got to be unified and connected, right? So that's what Paul is saying here. When you try to work together as a husband and wife, you got to be unified and connected. You can't have any kinks in your arm. You know, they had a soldier, and y'all may have heard of this, this, this uh, saying, Achilles heel. They said, that's your Achilles heel. But Achilles was a great soldier of war. He was a great uh, battler. You know, he can go into battle, and he won many wars, he won many battles, he won many fights. And his armor was true. And the term true being here is that it was solid. It didn't have any way of being fortified, you know, by just the normal means. And yet and still, he had all of his body covered, head to toe, except for the heel of his foot. And because he didn't have the heel of his foot covered, he went out to battle one, many battles, many wars, and he was able to accomplish many things. But at some point, at some point, somebody saw that, oh, his heel is uncovered. And so what they did was that small spot, that just a little bit of kink in his armor, once it was identified, they took that, and because they took that, 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 that place in his armor that had a fortification, they was able to destroy Achilles. Because once they took his ankle, once they cut the ligaments and the tendons in his ankle, he failed. And once he fell, he was in a compromising position. If nothing else, he was in pain. Because now he'd have been fortified, he'd have been attacked, he'd have been injured, he'd have been wounded. And that's what we have to do. We have to have our armor com completely covered in truth. 
God has our back. We just continue to march forward. We have to be better husbands. We have to be better wives. We have to allow scripture to come in and minister to us. And we have to go to God when we need something from God. We, we can't just go to God and the first thing that we do is just run down the street and, and, and get into conflict, you know, yelling out in public and things like that, embarrassing each other. Then that becomes a hard way to live in a relationship. We have to show ourselves uh, uh, worthy of the things that God is doing and how God is doing. Did you want to add anything else, brother? Uh, uh, what else? And, uh, a lot of times people feel that, am I worthy? Can I follow, be true, follow Christ? But people got to realize, you know, if, if you're not willing to get out there and do what you need to do to live with and follow with Christ, then you, know, you can't feel in a certain way. Because if you're not doing personal thing about it, you know, come to church, you know, you know, just just listen to the word, or or even come and speak the word. You know, you you fall, you drop. So you, you can't be worthy of something that you're not willing to put forth an effort to be or do. Amen. You know, Sister Cheryl was talking one day, and she brought this to my attention. Uh, it's over in the book of James, the first chapter, verse nineteen. He says in verse nineteen, he said, "Wherefore, my brothers, <coughs> beloved brothers." Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Be swift to hear. Listen. Be slow to speak. Don't always have something to say or waiting to have something to say when they finish and you're not really listening. You just wait for them to get done so you can say something. And slow to wrath. Don't get angry at everything they said because then it clouds your judgment and your better ability to understand and to hear what's being said. You know, you're going to get angry and frustrated. So nothing they're saying, whether you're speaking or listening or not, it's going to sound right to you at that point because you done became angry. So everything that's being said is coming all brass to you, harsh. You know, they shouldn't have said this, they shouldn't have said that. So why did I throw this in here? Because in marriage and relationship, a lot of these things are neglected in this text of Scripture. We're not, you know, swift to hear. We're not listening. We're not slow to speak. We're trying to jump in at every opportunity, every chance, not even letting the person finish. We're over-talking them. And we don't get angry. So we're not really listening or want to talk anymore. We just want to go. Or we want to react in some kind of negative way. It's just like, honestly, I guess I think it's Sunday when we were talking about it. It's just like the character of Charlie Brown. Once in a while, that's all you hear. You're not hearing what's really being said. You're not really wanting to listen. And sometimes when a person is saying something that you're not trying to hear, then that put, that's what, like you said, clouds the judgment again. So, you know, a lot of times, like you said, we can't be swift to speak. We need to listen and, you know, make sure that whatever we're hearing is right, but whatever we're going to speak is also right. All right. Don't cross the lines with either one. All right. So, Cheryl, come on now. Give us something. I was going to say that the main thing, I mean, uh, uh, Paul is trying to point out to the Ephesians, Paul is trying to point out to the Ephesians that, um, that um, how important marriage, how important um, marriage is. Right. You know, he's pointing out, you know, what it entails to be in a Christian marriage. How you know, the wives should be submissive, how the husband should love the wives as they love uh, the church. You know, so um, he's pointing that out. You know how important that is. You know, overall, he's saying that he's identifying how Christ loves the church, how Christ wants, uh, you know, went to the cross for our sins and. How he wants us to be clean, you know, not a spot, not a blemish. All right, and I and I agree with you, Sister Cheryl, because we have to be that way in our lives and in our relationship. And he wants our relationship to be clean and wholesome and righteous and true. And because a lot of times we don't live like that, that's why the breakdown and the disruption comes in in our relationship. We gotta agree. We be in a position to now <clears throat> the enemy can come in and compromise. Our relationship doesn't matter how much I love my wife. Doesn't matter how much I I, 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 I adore her and, and want her in my life. The enemy that came in and forced a wedge between me and my wife now. And while I could be loving and she could be submissive, all we are angry and frustrated and wants everything to end at this point. I don't want to talk to her. She don't want to talk to me. We don't want to discuss anything. She wants to go to her corner. I want to go to my corner. And when the bell rings, we come out fight. <laughs> Amen. 
Go ahead. Hold on. That's, that's why I can say it. She don't want to hear it. But don't want to hear it. But that's why if, if, if there is a breakdown in that situation, that's why you should just let that thing die out. You know, stop the conversation if, if that's the case. Until one person or both people can come together back again as one. Because the more one is safe to another and it's in disagreement, then that's just, it's going to get deeper and deeper and it get worse and worse. But sometimes it's just best to share. You know, and sometimes, you know, it's best if one just let one talk for themselves. Because eventually, if I'm tired of you talking, you're going to get tired of talking to me. Because if I'm not saying it, you're not giving an answer back. So it's just best to just leave that thing and let it die out and then come back together as one again and work it out and see if we can get things back on one accord. And I agree with that, you know, and that's what we're that's, that's what we're striving for. That's what we're trying to accomplish is to get in our relationship and get them back on one accord. But you find so often with men and women that we live in a society today, like you said in the beginning, brother, when we live in a society today where everything is not longer what it used to be. Everybody wants to have their way. Everybody wants to be who they're going to be and do what they're going to do. And whatever fits them is the right narrative for their life. It, it doesn't matter that they should be different. It doesn't matter scripture telling them to be different. It doesn't matter that scripture brings peace to the hearer and discipline to those who listen. It doesn't matter about that because everybody wants to live their life according to me. You know, whatever I feel, however I feel, whatever I'm thinking, however I think, that's how I want to live my life. I want to be me. And you're disrupting my peace of mind, my, you're in my space, you know, we, we got all these terms and, 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 and analogies and things like this and sayings that we have now for just being me, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, you got women saying that they're, they're the boss and they're running everything and the Bible doesn't support that and then women get angry and frustrated when you say, well, that's not the proper role that God had for men and women, well, then, that, you know, then you got to argue. Or you tell a woman that you know God made women homemakers and stuff like that, and they feel like that's a belittling thing to raise children, to sit home and take care of the house and to cook a meal and, and the wife's clothes and to raise the kids. You know, they all make you almost scared to say that that's what they should do. You should be home watching. Oh, well, I should be watching dishes. You should be cooking. I should be cooking, raising kids, washing clothes. What's wrong with you? You know, they see that as a belittling thing when the Bible understands like that. The Bible understands a woman should take care of home. <clears throat> a man should take care of his home by going out laboring in the fields or working and, and, and leading his home and, and being, you know, a protector and a corrector. And a wife being a nurturer and a homekeeper. And it used to be a time when those things wasn't bad words to women. To hear a man say, I, I, I thank you for raising our children and being a good mother. They honored that. They saw that. And it used to be women used to say, oh, raising kids is a job too. Now they see that's a belittling thing. The, the narrative of life has changed, and we're being programmed and we're being indoctrinated with different mindsets, and we're buying into, especially the millennials. You know, they had the first generation next when 2000 came in. Then when 2010 rolled around, then they had the millennials. What is going to be next? Then we had the flower children and the baby boomers back in the day, the hippies and all this. Now we got the, the generation next when 2000 came in, and now we got the millennials, and nobody seems to be qualified, let alone, uh, 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 you know, be worthy, let alone qualified, to do the work anymore. You have just a few left that can remember things that they should be. People like you, I, and Sister Cheryl. There's no harm in me going out working hard, taking care of their home, coming home to a meal and, and, and comfort and, and loving his wife and protecting his home. There's nothing wrong with a wife, you know, raising her children, being a home wife. There's no, uh, 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 no, uh, I can't think of the word. There's no shame in that. There's no belittling in that. That's a good thing. Look at the condition of our kids now. <laughs> because we don't do it. Back in the day, I'm not saying kids was perfect. We weren't perfect children. We were better, though. So husband and wives ought to love each other. They ought to commit and submit to each other. They ought to do it unto the Lord, as the Bible tells us to do. And more than that, we ought to live lives in a way that is peaceful in our home so our kids can see a better way so they can grow up doing better things. Kids don't know how to do anything anymore. They don't know how to go out and get a job or iron their clothes to work or even talk properly on the interview or dress properly for the interview. They don't know how to write a check. 
They don't have to do anything anymore. They don't have to balance an account because that's not being taught. When I was in school, that was, those things were taught. Now they're not being taught anymore. When they taught Sister Charles, I can't hear you. That's what I'm saying. They was taught. Now we live in a world where our kids don't know how to do anything. They borrow from other people's knowledge. And so that's my thing right there. We, we shouldn't just be borrowing from other people's knowledge. Right. We should know ourselves. Like you said, it was taught back then, but see now, a lot of parents in the world themselves don't hold their kids accountable for anything. They just um, let them own freely, do what they want freely, come in freely, you know, go freely, smoke, drink, whatever. You know, they, they, they don't hold their kids accountable for anything. This is true. You know, they're, they're willing to supposedly raise them a little bit, but they want not only raise them a little bit, they want the community to raise them, they want the seat to raise them. That's right. They won't have to put that other percentage money. And they don't realize the more they slack, the more things they fall back on. That's the right. The more things that happen. So That's yeah, right. I, I agree with that. That's right. Because most parents think all I have to do is give three hots in the cot. That's all they're doing. They're just raising their kids, making sure that they're fed, they got a roof over their head, and, you know, their clothes, holidays come, birthdays come, doing stuff like that. They're not doing a whole lot in between. You know, I've seen a lot of kids personally, I know personally, a lot of young people that used to be in our youth program that done went wayward. They're in trouble. They dropped out of school. They're, they're in these uh, homes and things, you know, for well, kids who have disciplinary problems and things like that. And nobody seemed to understand that that comes from a broken relationship or a broken home. I know you said that you can't blame everything on the parent, and you can't. Yet your parents have to take responsibility for their parts and things. You know, I'm not going to discipline my kid no matter how he talks to people. I know somebody right now whose children, a couple of their children, that talk bad to somebody I know personally, and I have yet to see some real discipline go forth for what those kids did. I see it being, you know, just blown off, you know. And me and Sister Terry used to talk to this person and this one person in particular all the time about how their child was. Nothing came up. They always excused their child. Always excused their child. And I remember standing up telling this person one time, warning them. I was hoping and praying it wouldn't happen because some kids do get back on track. I was warning this person. I said, if you don't do something about it, I said, I understand what you're saying. You know, this, that, and the third. People this, people that. Sometimes it's not your child's fault. I get it. This child is doing a lot of things that are not right. And that's not me picking on a child. My child did things that weren't right. My point is this. You have to see these things and you have to see them for what they are and you have to stop excusing your children and become a parent and not a friend. Did you want to say something else, Brother Wendell? Uh, yeah, I was going to say something. I don't know how to say it. But what is that saying? Raise a child in what? Uh, raise a child the way they should go when he is older and not depart from it. Right, but see, that's the point. They're not raising them in that sense That's right. You can't depart from something. You can never depart from it or to lean to it right. if you're not being taught. Right. Same way with this marriage thing. We have to be taught these things. Right. So, you know, for being held accountable, <laughs> you know, sometimes the, the parent ain't holding themselves accountable. So a lot of times they can't hold the child to something that they're not, you know, holding themselves to. Because a lot of them are following themselves. So, they, they get to the point where they let somebody else or let the child raise themselves because they don't want to do it because they don't really know what's going on themselves. Okay. So, sure, you sure you got nothing to say? I was going to say that last part you just said that it takes a village. And if you got a good village behind you trying to help your kids, well, you need to let, let the people help. Don't try to, you know, take up to the kids and they know it's going to be better for them in the end. You know, you allow everybody to try to be disciplined to help you. Because like you said, some people don't even know how to parent or how to um, to parent or, or raise their kids. So it's helpful when you have somebody that's uh, promoting and trying to assist you in doing it correctly. You, you said assist you helping you do it correctly? But I was saying doing it correctly, yeah. To raise your kids. To, to, you know, to help with your kids. Like you said, I, it, it's good to have a city 
for a town or this, that, and that, so help raise their child. But what people don't realize in that process of raising their child, everybody has to be on that same level, the same accord. They have to make sure that they're doing what they supposed to do. Because you know, a lot of times you get other people help to raise their child. Not only that you're not doing that right, but that child is learning something different and not right from somebody else. So everybody got to be, if they're going to be on that one accord, it's got to be that one accord and be the right accord. Because if you get me trying to raise that child and then my neighbor's trying to raise that child and the man in the street and the woman up the street, then this child is going through four or five different situations when if we're all in one accord, that child will be going through one situation and do the right way. Amen. I agree with that. And, and that's why husbands and wives have to be submissive to each other because in order to parent and parent correctly, you're going to have to have some kind of standard in which you parent by and which you discipline your children by. Like you said, raise the child the way that it should go and when you go, you're not to part from it. And it also says in that same book of Proverbs, you know, Foodness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction puts it far from it. So that's over in what? Uh, verse 15 of that same uh, book of Proverbs 22. So what I'm saying is parents have to be on one stand. I'm not saying that parents don't always agree in the same mindset, but a husband and wife in a marriage situation have to at least have the same core values and core uh, mindsets and goals for their children. Otherwise, you're going to have children always waging war between the parents by going to mama for one thing, daddy for another thing, or to neither one of them because oh, I know all I got to do is just get caught an argument between them and they ain't going to even go out of the house for the night. I didn't clam out of my window. You know, when kids see disorder and break down in the house, they become disorderly and break down because you are their, their guideline in the, in, in the home. God is your guideline and you're there. So you have to emanate the, 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 the person of Christ to your children. And when you fail to do that as husbands and wives, marriage couples, when wives don't submit, and husbands don't love their wives like they should, children need to, or girl need to see his father, her father love his wife right so she know what a man's supposed to treat her like. A son should see his father love his wife right so he know how to treat his wife, and vice versa. Uh, a son should see his mother be submissive to her husband so he know what a good woman is like. A girl should see her mother be submissive to her husband so she know how to deal and act in her relationship. <clears throat> so we need to be uh, uh, fortified and unified as husband and wife in all these things. And when it's happened, we're not those things. We're less fortified. We're less disciplined. And because we're less fortified and disciplined, we're not in a position to where we can actually do things according to God's will as husband and wife. Did you want to add anything to me, Sister Sarah? All right. Did you want to add anything else, brother? Like when we were just talking about that waiver, you know, a lot of times that can play in there too because it's, you know, you're being wavered, you know, you, you can't tell or teach something if you're just, you know, off and on, or if, if, if you move on, you know, it's even going to be not, not to be hot or cold. So we got to learn that in order to get it right, we got to be set in stone. We got to make sure that it's a positive thing, the right thing. And an honest and truthful thing. You know, you can't just be here and there and all over the place. Expect your husband and wife, either one, to be right, or your kids to come up right. And that's true. And I agree with you, brother, one there. And yet, still, I want to add this to it. Say, you, you might remember you saying this yourself. You know, if you got a bad wife or a bad husband, you still have to be qualified, not qualified, <clears throat> but you're still required to be right yourself. So you have to meet the qualifications. Of righteousness because you may be the one that actually bring that person around by them seeing your light shine. Sometimes in a relationship, you can't just because your husband is acting up, act up too. Because your wife is not doing what she's supposed to, you just break down and you quit. No, you got to stay the you got to stay the course. You got to you know you got to toe the line. You got to carry the weight for both of y'all. Sometimes that's just what that is. 
And if you don't feel like you want to carry the weight, then you got to ask yourself, am I even right myself? Why am I not willing to carry the weight? I married this person. I believe God gave this person to me. I believe this is my husband or my wife. I believe that we're supposed to be joined together. So why am I breaking down? Why? I know it gets hard. I'm not saying it's not breakdowns on both sides. I'm saying that if you can hold the line and you can stay the course, hold the line, stay the course. Don't just give up and give in. Amen? And a lot of times what people do, they give up and they give in. And women should stand up and fight. If something matters to you, you're going to fight for it. Your job, you don't just walk away from your job. You know what's important? It pays your bills. It takes care of your home. It makes sure that you got a little pocket money. You can take a trip every now and again. You can buy some clothes. You take care of that job. Well, you should take care of that relationship the same way. Matter of fact, that relationship is more important than that job because that relationship is your standard that God gave you in, the, in life as a husband or a wife. Now, that's going to trump everything else in the natural. Yet still, we make our husbands and wives be secondary, come behind most things in life, and then we wonder why they discourage and don't want to continue on the journey. Because they stand there watching us not do our part, and then, and then they, they, we say they got the nerve to be upset about it. Yes, they should be upset. God joined y'all together. You're the only person they got as far as a relationship. If they're going to do God's way, you're the only person they got. So if you're not doing your part, if y'all not spending time together, y'all not doing this, y'all not doing that, y'all not enjoying each other, y'all not smiling and laughing, doing a little nice thing for each other, then what do they have? If they go out and step out the relationship, they done done two things wrong. One, they done broke your heart by cheating. They done broke God's heart by cheating. You know, even if it don't break your heart, it always breaks God's heart. And if, if God said, well, I'm just going to be done with it, it still breaks your heart. So either way, you've done something that's broken down the relationship, both spiritually and naturally. Yet and still, we complain about, well, why they do that? Because you've been neglecting them. A lot of people fall to that, 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 that demon of neglect. They succumb to it. I'm not saying nobody should succumb to that ever, never, never, ever. What I'm saying is a lot of people do. Then you get in their head, well, he's neglecting me. She's neglecting me. They're not doing it. They're not doing that. They did it when you met. They did it this part of your life and your relationship. Now they're not doing it anymore. They got, they, they done got busy. They done got all about you. They no longer have time for you. And it's true. So you know it's true, and the enemy whispering in your ear, and you can, like that line you say, you give an ear to that, you got to dismiss that immediately because you'll get caught up if you don't. So you give ear to that, guess what? You done had a breakdown before it even broken down. Because now you done become discouraged. You're ready to quit because the enemy told you all this truth, but he's doing it to, to destroy your relationship. He don't love anything that God loves. He won't see everything that God loves destroyed, including the marriage. The marriage is the foundation. You see what I'm saying? Just like Christ is the foundation of the church, the marriage is the foundation of the home and of the husband, the wife, and the children, and all that's, that's accomplished in there. So in the end, I want to say this tonight. Uh, we're going to be going back over this on Sunday. Uh, I hope y'all have something prepared and ready to say. I think this is a good lesson. I think it teaches us to be better in our relationship in all areas and in all ways, to submit one to another, to wives submit to husband, husband love their wife. And with that being said, we can get ready to... Uh, uh, end everything tonight, and uh, and we'll pick back up on this on Sunday, okay? Amen.